0: Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability. It was a hot July in 1893 when James Cornish showed up at Chicago's Provident Hospital, a victim of a barroom brawl. He had a knife wound to his chest that nicked the heart, but most surgeons at the time believed that operating on the heart was simply too dangerous. Well, unlucky in the barroom, but really lucky in the ER. Without antibiotics, adequate anesthesia, or really most of the instruments that are used in modern-day heart surgery, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams cut a small hole into his chest with a scalpel, and he then repaired a severed artery and a tear in the sac surrounding the heart. Cornish recovered and went on to live another 20 years, and Dr. Williams became known as one of the first doctors in the world to perform a successful open-heart surgery. Pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. But what is even more remarkable is that Dr. Williams was a black surgeon in 1893 in Chicago. At that time, black people were denied admission to white hospitals or relegated to all black wards that had demonstrably substandard care. Dr. Williams was a charter member of the National Medical Association, the nation's oldest and largest organization representing black physicians. At that time, the NMA made it a priority to eliminate health disparities and ensure access to professional medical care for all. Well, he started something that needed to be done, but it has certainly not been finished. By 1900, in the USA, 1.3% of physicians were black compared with 11.6% of the population. By 1940, only 2.8% of physicians were black. And by 2018, 5% of physicians were black, The increase is not keeping up with changes in the population. So medical progress has been at times amazing, but not everyone is participating in or receiving the benefits of those advances. We've all heard that healthcare outcomes are more influenced by zip codes than any other factor. The news is full of examples of how access to and processes of care are not equally distributed to all, and that biases, both personal and systemic, play a role in this inequitable and unethical situation. So we have a lot to do. Where on earth will we start? Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic and a vice chair of quality. Co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry?
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, consultation relationship manager for quality at Mayo Clinic. You know, that story was really incredible. And I can't believe 130 years later, we haven't made more progress than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At times it feels almost like not only stall, but negative progress.
1: Right. And uh, so I've been really looking forward to our conversation with our guest today, where we're going to learn more about Mayo Clinic's Office of Health Equity and Inclusion, some things about history, how we started, strategy, current state, all those great things. So I'm really looking forward to it.
0: I couldn't be more excited to introduce Don Peters, our guest today, I've known Don for many years. There could be no one better to tell us about uh, the developments of this program at Mayo Clinic. Now, our purpose in this isn't just to tell you about a program at Mayo Clinic. I think you'll gain a lot of insights into how an organization might think about how to make a real impact in these problems. Don, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? When did you get started at Mayo Clinic? And uh, you know what are you doing these days? And just give us a little story so everybody gets to know you.
2: Great. Thank you so much. And it really, it's my privilege and pleasure to spend time with you all today. So always so great to see you all. So I've been at Mayo almost 20 years. Let me just say that. I thought I'd be here five, right? You know how that goes. Time (laughs) flies, right? I spent a lot of time in the leadership and talent space. I worked with a lot of providers, consulting staff, care teams. And most recently, in the last couple of years, I transitioned over to the quality office. And as part of that work, I've been engaged in our Office of Health, Equity, and Inclusion, besides culture safety work. I still do a little bit of leadership work. I do values work. And I have to just tell you my background. I'm a social worker by training. So uh-huh. as we think about social determinants of health, which we're going to talk about in some of those things, it was a perfect fit. And I'm just, again, I'm privileged to be part of this work. Thank you.
0: Dawn, thanks so much. One of the things that you just said that I just want to highlight, maybe pick your brain a l- about a little bit is- I know we're going to talk about, you know, the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion, but you mentioned that it lays under our quality structure. Tell us a little bit about how that's come to be and, you know, whether you feel that that's a right fit or what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. What I would tell you is that as health disparities, as this conversation about health inequities, the story that you told over a hundred plus years ago, you're absolutely right. We haven't made as much progress, right? And you're going to be able to hear from Dr. Milam, who's my physician partner in a future opportunity, but he would tell you that it takes a village and you can't just focus on one activity. And he really believes, and we believe that no different than a infection, right? No different than those quality metrics that we pay attention to that you know what? health disparities, at least forty percent of the outcomes are impacted for our patients mm. because of social determinants of health barriers, right? Wow. And yeah. so we know that it is a there's a huge, relationship and alignment to that. We think it's great that we're sitting in the quality space. You're gonna hear me talk a little bit more about our relationships with our office of diversity and inclusiveness and equity. So we have a lot of different activities and partnerships but we really feel like embedding this in the quality space is a way to be able to make traction because at the end of the day, as you all know, this is about how do we take care of our patients so that they have the most optimal outcomes right wow. and what better way to do that than be a part of that quality process and that infrastructure and those metrics that makes yeah. sense
0: well okay so i'm i'm yeah. still excited about what you just said but i'm still <laughs> going to ask the next question tell us a bit about the office of health equity and inclusion its origins what do you want to tell us about that
2: so our office has been around for oh probably 10 11 years now since 2013 And initially, it was a small office and it also kind of sat with quality, just so you know, but the office really focused on really foundational pieces for our patients, like let's collect race and ethnicity data, right? Let's figure out how we can encourage our patients to complete that and give us their self-report data. You know, we evolved from there to some education components, if you will. And then most recently, I will just share with you over the last couple of years, We decided to kind of refresh our strategy. We had a new medical director come in. We spent some time with our practice leaders. And we said, you know, we really need to think about this differently. We do not want to be a standalone office. Let's be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. It does take a village. We need to partner closely with the practice That's They see the patients, right? They're the ones who can do that. Our job is to support them with resources and tools and connections and education and all those other pieces. And so that's really been the origin and how we've evolved. And I just have to say one more thing. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about our relationship with OEID. That is our Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Group. They have done an amazing job setting that stage for our organization around bias, unconscious bias, inclusiveness, everybody in, conversations with staff members to say, how does it feel to be an employee at Mayo Clinic? How does it feel to be a consultant at Mayo Clinic? Do you feel like you're being heard? And so that paving the way was a great kind of transition moment for us as we refreshed our strategy as we said, you know what, let's focus on patients now. So the OEID group focuses primarily on the workforce. We partner very closely with them. And now our focus is to say, how do we support the practice further?
1: So an important collaborative partner there certainly, but were there other key collaborators as you began this work Do you wanna talk about?
2: Yeah, certainly practice leadership. So as we started this work, we went out, I'll just share with you when I joined, I said, what is, you know, practice is closest to our patients. What are they telling us? What do they think about health equity? What do they want us to be thinking about as we are that enterprise resource? And so we went out and we, when we met with practice leaders, I will share with you, we had a couple of aha moments, right? And we said, tell us your understanding of health equity and what would you like us to know? And so I'm going to talk about practice leaders and then I'll answer um, Sherry your question with mm-hmm. a couple other comments, but. This is what we heard and it was really important for us to hear this. The majority of our practice leaders, no surprise, I'm sure like many organizations said, yep, we care about health equity work. It's important for us. But they also said to us, we don't know where to start. We know that care teams, we know that providers, some of them obviously have passion and are engaged in this work. They connect into the communities, et cetera, et cetera. But many of our staff said, we're not quite sure where to start. So that was an aha moment. They also said, help us, help us put together that infrastructure. So don't just say we have strategies by the way, which is to activate the practice, create that culture of health equity and continue to deepen that outreach into the community and advocacy. But they said, help us with those resources. We all know that health equity starts with data. You need to know where is that disparity? How do I find that disparity? And they said, please don't just give us those goals Help us to get there to identify that. So the practice leaders are, and by the way, all of the practice, not just leaders, are an important part of that, care team members, et cetera. Our accreditation colleagues, some of you may know, Joint Commission CMS has leadership standards that have come out this year and next year related to health equity efforts. We're thrilled about that, by the way as we continue to move this effort forward, they've been great partners for us. Language, our interpretive services, right? That are great partners. Our patient education folks, the materials that we use. We have so many different activities and so many partners that are just integral to this work. And the last comment, and you're going to hear me say this, it takes a village. So we have so many partners and we're like, anybody want to hang out with us? Come hang out with us because you know what? (laughs) We will learn from you together. As we help advance this work on behalf of our patients.
0: I think it's so interesting that you you started the answer to this question by saying, well, we went to the practice and asked them what they think. A lot of Mayo Clinic are subspecialty practices. That's one of the things that, at least at our large academic centers, is a big part of who we are. We serve 70 communities in the upper Midwest that are not all subspecialty practices. Did you hear any undertones or underpinnings about gee, I'm really interested in this, but this is really more of a population health or primary care concern. I I only get what they send to me. I mean, tell us about those conversations that you had and what your thoughts about them were.
2: The short answer is yes, we did get some of that. And I will tell you that as we went out and we visited with the leaders, We gave them kind of the overview of what the office has done. We said, where are you at? And this is what was interesting. And as you were asking me the question, I have to tell you, I just immediately went back to one of the interviews. I won't tell you what subspecialty that it was with, but I will tell you that this staff member who was a consultant said to me, by the way, a leader, a practice leader said, you know, Dawn, I like you, you're nice, but I had no clue. And I thought, why is she scheduling time with me? this is a a primary care issue, right? Get that SDOH questionnaire. When you do their annual physical, when you work on preventative screenings, right? You take care of it. And he said to me as we got chatting, and I'll just share with you because it illustrates the point, I think, Dr. Morgenthaler. He said to me, you know, as we were talking, because I started talking about possible disparities and data and how do we find that? And are there any differences? And what about the patient that comes in and English is not their primary language. Mm. Does that impact the care we provide? Our short answer would be, we hope not, right? But the reality is we know that there are many dynamics for our patients that don't speak English as their primary language. We know that they may bring a family member who doesn't always interpret and We know that's not always the best solution that we really need interpreters to be able to make sure that the patient understands not only the conversation in front of them, but a potential care plan and what that looks like. And the staff member said to me, this consultant said, "You know, I was thinking about it and I thought, you know what? You're absolutely right. We may be able to look at a disparity with pain management control. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? If a patient does not speak English and we are waiting for the interpreter, but we're busy and we're backed up, I might say, okay, I'm going to give you this plan. And plan B for pain management is 90% as good as plan A. But you know what? I'm just going to give it to you, right? And he said, I think there's a disparity there. Can you please take a look at that? That's what we want to do in that experience, in that conversation. That's what we want to do more of. We want to encourage our staff, whether it's consultants, no matter what role in the organization, to say, in my work today, what does this health equity lens look like or should it look like? I said very briefly about our strategic priorities and that we wanna create a culture of health equity. I will tell you that when we meet with frontline staff, who for many organizations, they're that face of the patient, right? They're the face of the customer. They're the first line. We wanna make sure that in their role, as we sit with them, they go, wait, I need to be culturally sensitive. There may be some nuances here I need to pay attention to. Is there some education we can do at the back end to help them? If we have a large Somali population, what do we know about that culture? What does that look like? And the same thing as we go and we visit with supply chain. We said, in your role, if we have inpatient patients that are diverse, are we thinking more broadly as we're purchasing products for diverse patient populations? Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that we really want to do. So it's not just primary care. It's logical. And by the way, we have great primary care and pop health folks, right? We do. But it's broader than that. It's bigger than that. And as you said at the beginning, a hundred plus years, it takes all of us to kind of think about this.
1: Yeah. I love that idea of just in creating this culture of let's just be curious, let's stay open, let's what, what's going on around us? What questions can we ask? And, and even just starting the conversation to do that, we can probably go a lot further faster as well.
0: I wanna lean in on that a little bit. We are an academic institution. Mm-hmm. We have fairly decent resources in, in partnership in the Kern Center. As some of these questions have surfaced, is the office that you're working with engaging with, let's just say, scientists to explore some of these questions, not only from the very pragmatic, you know, what do we do to better serve our patients, but from the learning organization point of view? Can you tell us a little bit about that kind of partnership?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. The Kern Center is actually a really integral partner of ours, and I should have talked about them earlier, as well as Center for Digital Health and our platform folks. I will share with you that as part of our office infrastructure we built up the infrastructure a little bit and we created three work groups. And one of those work groups is a health equity work group that focuses on the regulatory requirements and the leadership standards. And I can talk more about that. 70 plus liaison across the sites who are boots on the ground, partnering with the practice. We support them. So when Joint Commission shows up, we can say, let us tell you what we're doing. That's number one. But the second one that gets at your question is what we're calling an implementation work group. And what we know is that our data scientists, right, the current Center is so amazing with the skill sets they bring to the table. And we know there's many different opportunities to close gaps for our patients, for diabetes management, for colorectal cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've said to the current Center, can you partner with us? So we have scientists and some physicians that are part of a team that look at and the different work groups bring some of the interventions and our action plans. And this coalition of wonderful, wonderful staff members and scientists, et cetera, take a look at that and say, let's share with you more. These are great interventions. They're evidence-based interventions. Mm. What else can we be doing? Or you might wanna think about pivoting a little bit here, or you might wanna think about this strategy differently or those tactics differently. And so that's really how we partner really closely with them. I will also say that both Center for Digital Health as well as the Kern Center helped us create dashboards. So we have quality dashboards, again, thinking about the data question and looking for health disparities starts with data. And so we have many dashboards, which much of the data is fed from our EHR, right? Our our health record. And then the Kern Center will help us identify those disparities so we can partner with the practice. But they're a great partnership for us. John, you mentioned
1: earlier about when you went out to the practice, and they said, you know, we don't even know where to start. So I would imagine trying to start something like this in an organization as large and as complex as Mayo Clinic could be quite an endeavor. So is is there a a primary challenge or one big challenge that you'd want to highlight that you faced in this
2: work? I think a big shift, and I've talked about it briefly, but a shift from we are an office who owns this, and you all know we don't own this, we are not the sole owners of health equity for our patients, right? (laughs) Yeah. And to the practice and Mayo Clinic and the organization owning it, we are continually out there. That's why we say, hey, come hang out with us, right? Come spend time with us. You interested in this work? Join us. Because everybody's got a place or a lens to bring to the table that curiosity that you talk about. So I think that, that shift, from not one entity owning it, not one function owning it. And I think obviously resourcing it. I I wanna just say three months into the role, I became very clear and every message I had for practice leadership was we have to be intentional. Because if we just say, yep, this is a really important thing to do and we're not intentional about the interventions and the strategies and the tactics, our numbers are gonna look exactly the same. Our number of resources, right? That's right. That have diabetes that cannot manage it because of social determinants of health. They don't have finances for their medication. They can't get to appointments. They cannot understand it. So can we bring in community health workers? What about patient navigators? All of those activities is so important. And again, We can figure out how to be strategic about that. Can we partner with the practice? And I can talk a little bit more about some of the efforts that we're doing related to SDOH and Joint Commission and how we're partnering with the practice. But I think those are the biggies for me. And I do think, and the question you started with about quality, I do think embedding it into the quality space is going to help move this effort. And even if it's one part of their quality improvement plan or their QAPI plan or whatever, that you can say, as you're thinking about all those other quality metrics, think about SDOH data collection. Think about how do you connect patients to resources? Think about a certain patient population. Think about a certain disease that you're aware of. And that's what we're asking folks to do. But I think that's a challenge. We just continue to share that message.
0: Yeah, you know, Don, I liked very much what she said about moving from being an office to being the way we do business. As you know, in quality, that's been a a big challenge for many organizations is that quality kind of grew up as, oh, that's those quality people over there. But the quality people over there actually don't do quality. It's the practice that either does or does not do quality. So to the extent that what you said is true, for you know, just the office uh, which you help to lead. It's true for all of quality, each branch of our quality, patient experience, patient safety. All of us are really resources to the practice, trying to be expert consultants to the practice, trying to shine the light in places where there's opportunities for them to consider improvement, and then hopefully provide evidence-based recommendations for how they might think about it or adapt those recommendations to their particular practice.
2: Absolutely. And as you were talking, what I was thinking about and what came to mind for me was that if you think about change management principles, and if you think about transforming organizations and culture, the best way to do that, I mean, there's several strategies, obviously, but embedding it into existing workflows, don't have it be a separate activity, embedded in something that people are already doing embedded as part of those workflows embedded as part of the conversations and the staff meetings and the huddles and the are we worried about any patients today and outcome you know those sorts of things whether it's inpatient or outpatient or whatever so those are the kind of things I think about which is exactly what you're talking about
0: well so you offered it up we're going for it tell us what the office of Healthcare equity and inclusion is focused on currently and that includes the SDOH that you mentioned
2: obviously partnering with the practice. So we're working on that, engaging them, et cetera. The other thing is part of the Joint Commission and the CMS requirements, we do have to put together an SDOH workflow. And particularly for 2024 with CMS, we will have to, for all inpatients age 18 or older, we have to not only ask about health equity or the SDOH barriers, but we have to connect people to resources if they want it. And so we've done a great job with our questionnaires, but part of the process is embedding that. So we've had nursing, care management, social work, practice leaders, et cetera, et cetera, taking a look at that. Our strategy folks kind of looking at the bigger picture and that lens. I would also be remiss. We have a enterprise-wide SDOH subcommittee led by Dr. Erin Westfall, and she and her team have five different work streams that we're intimately involved in to be able to look at that. So our goal and that goal for their work is how do we automate this? How do we make it easier? We know that the practice is busy. We know providers are busy. We know care teams are busy. So the more we can automate things into the record, the more we connect with find help, that we can do some of those automation and then the messages comes out to say, yes, I want some help. We're piloting some things right now in the EHR, where if a patient responds to the SDOH questionnaire, it automatically comes back to a care team member to follow up with them if they want help. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of things that we're working on. And uh, we will continue to do that. We're going to continue to advance this work. We didn't talk about it earlier, but one of the things I'm really proud of, and I don't get to take any of the credit, let me just say, but as we think about this health equity work, we went to our uh, library, Mayo Clinic Library, and we said, can you tell us how many of our faculty are engaged in health equity publication work? This whole evidence-based or just the whole function of health equity and what that looks like today. And we found that we have over 950 publications over the Mm -hmm. last five years that our faculty have engaged in. Now our next step is to be able to catalog that, to say how many of those are related to just the whole conversation about health equity and where we go. How many of those publications are related to diseases? How many of those publications are related to a specific patient population? What are we learning about interventions? Because what we want to do is connect that to our care teams. So when they see a patient with a certain diagnosis or a health condition, that they'll have some of that evidence-based information. So those are the kind of things we're doing. We continue to work with the Kern Center and our colleagues. And then we're really in dialogue right now about our patient portal. And our patient portal is in English only today. Mm. And we know that many people, again, if we're going to help them to optimize their health with the best opportunity to have optimal health, we need to make sure they understand. So we've started a dialogue with many of our colleagues to think about how we can have that patient portal in multiple languages. So that's our lift
1: Well, that's awesome, and all the things you're mentioning—from the research and publications all the way to the work on the portal—will hopefully have very positive impacts on our patients and our staff. Any
2: anything else you want to mention in that space, Don? You know, just that our goal, right, is always about the patient. I guess a comment about is: I think about how do you get people engaged and excited about this. Talk about our mission. Talk about our patients. Connect those dots for them, which is so important.
1: Yeah, it's tied to who we are and what we do here every day. Uh,
0: yeah. Don, I think one thing we can be confident of is there's no lack of enthusiasm on the part of the leadership for this. So
2: it's great. Both, it's right.
0: Yes, and that speaks to you individually. And maybe you could just share with our listeners what's Mayo Clinic's avowed determination to start addressing some of these issues.
2: We again have many dialogues with practice leaders. They have supported this work. They have supported us with some resources. Now we don't have optimal and we're never going to have enough resources, but that ability to champion these efforts for the organization to influence it. Mayo Clinic made their commitment to a hundred million dollars eradicating racism. Health equity fits into that. Mm. Health equity fits into that. And so again, every time we bring a tactic or proposal and some of them don't cost anything, some of them are activities that are already happening in the practice that we want to activate them more, right? We want to share best practices, right? Pretty sure. But some of them, we've gone to the practice to say, for Mayo Clinic, like, how do we support you around this? I think we start small, we focus, we show progress, and we show outcomes. And I think that is also what the organization is saying to us is, We've got all these activities, we have over 225 activities happening across the enterprise, besides all these publications. And now we're partnering back with the practice to say, tell us about those outcomes. What did you learn? What were the key learnings? How do we cascade that across the enterprise? Those are the kind of things that we're doing. We're on first full
1: circle on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: so we have just a little bit of time left here, but I wanna ask you this question. Let's say that you are speaking to an organization that is really very early in their organizational work on these issues, what advice do you have for them?
2: Be intentional what you choose to do. You cannot do it all, so be intentional about it. It takes a village, so gather lots of folks. We don't have a lot of FTE resources around this, but we have a lot of people engaged that care about this work. Mm. Start small, scale it, and leverage leaders when you need to. So we may go to a certain set of leaders to say, hey, we need help with that patient portal. We may go to other groups to say, we need our health education materials digitally done. Can you help us think about that differently? Whatever the case may be. So figure out how do you leverage leaders in different ways? Embed and reinforce the message that health equity is part of quality. It is part of quality. Find out, share best practices. I think that's important as we go forward.
0: I'm sure you've given our listeners a lot to think about, and uh, it's always exciting to talk with you, (laughs) your enthusiasm and energy and expertise. It's been quite an honor to be able to work with you and, and also to talk with you today. So unfortunately, though, we do have to draw our podcast to a close. So we've come to the end. We're really glad that you could join us and hope that the information provided is insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to highlight some first steps in addressing important quality challenges like this one in your organization. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and populations we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be really grateful if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or feedback wherever you listen. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, goodbye.